Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to our uh, podcast presentation on Cardiac CT. I left you last time with a comment about the fact you need 64-slice CT technology and the importance of a team approach. I showed you some articles before in the literature with the point this article making a, a very nice approach to cardiac CT, noting the artifacts and pitfalls, and again recognizing that many of these artifacts are decreasing because this article was published at the uh, four-slice era, but motion or beam hardening or dense structures or technical errors, those problems still will exist. And Dr. Uh, Chow's article in 2004 is a very nice review and a good place to start. Our article in 05 looking at 16 slice showed some of the improvements over 4 slice but recognized again some of the limitations. When we asked the question where do we need to be we commented before that we will be changing to dual source or multiple detectors beyond 64 arrays. But the key question we typically get asked is 16 slice adequate and the answer is yes you can get decent images sometime and yes you can see stenosis but for robust evaluation you need to go with 64. You know that guy Kramer who does the financial picks on the CNBC if you ask him the question 64 or 16 he would throw a chair at you and say 64 enough said. Well, enough said. We mentioned the requirements for cardiac CT, high temporal resolution, high spatial resolution, volume acquisition, and gating. Okay, we know that. But now I'm going to talk to you about the most important part of the exam, and that is dealing with the patient. If the patient is not cooperative, you're not going to have a good study. Now, all our patients are cooperative. The key is making them cooperative with the task at hand. So you need to speak to the patient in advance, whether it's you or the technologist or the nurse, and really explain to them the importance and difficulty of the study, how important it is for them to follow orders. And the key is no surprises. We tell a patient about remaining still, about the importance of accurate breathing instructions, which again prevents motion, but also controls heart rate. We'll have to practice the breath hold. We'll tell them about the contrast injection and the potential warmth they'll feel, and we really need to get them focused to the job at hand. There's no doubt if you go to uh, the newest of scanners, a dual source, and maybe in the future wider detectors, you may not need so much cooperation, but now the patient has to be with us. Now, when can a cardiac CT scan be done? Top of the list, an uncooperative patient. Obviously, if you can't get IV access or the patient is allergic, Patients with significant arrhythmias are typically not considered candidates for cardiac CTA. Patients with significant calcium uh, in the vessels, again, but this is more of a potential contraindication, and I'm going to speak about that later. And again, high heart rate, typically high is defined very variably. Most people want a heart rate of between 60 and 65. Some people want it beneath 60. But over 75, it's just not going to be a good study. Now, of course, new scanners like a dual source makes that statement untrue because you can do uh, patients in the 90s and still get good studies. But we'll speak about that later. Why is heart rate so important? Well, with the classic 64-slice scanner, the slower the heart rate, the longer diastole, and the better the CT scan acquired. Again, arrhythmias are a major limitation. 
I've been doing patients lately with arrhythmias, but you have to use multiple sequences of reconstruction and then kind of paste things together. It's time consuming, it's difficult, but it is indeed doable. I mentioned some of the failures a few moments ago for cardiac CT. Too fast a heart rate is probably the one that you truly can control uh, more than anything else. There have been some articles in the literature, and here's one I just mentioned, because this is a real outlier. In this article, they speak about heart rates of less than 80, uh, and they comment that maybe 75 to give a margin of safety, but none of us are scanning at 75 or 80. You've got to be in the low 60s. So now you have a patient, they arrive in CT. Well, what do you do? Well, typically what we'll do is if patients have heart rates above 65, we will use beta blockers. We're doing a survey on beta blockers and probably 90% of the sites will use some type of beta blocking in their patients. There's many different medications to use. We use metoprolol, and here's just a list of some of the things you're able to use. Again, metoprolol we like, it's safe, it's fast acting with little side effects. So what's our procedure? Well, the patients arrive about an hour before the CT. We then check their heart rate. If the heart rate is less than 65 and the pulse is regular, we'll then put an IV in, get the patient in the room, and do the study. If the heart rate's above 65 or irregular, then we'll consider the use of beta blockers. We'll typically give between 50 and 100 milligrams. We find that if the heart rate is above 75 or 80, you better go with 100. If you're under 75, 50 milligrams will typically work well. It will usually work in less than 30 minutes. If you're unsuccessful by 60 minutes, you have two choices, more PO beta blockers. But again, the patients now wait an hour. That's way too long. And the second choice, of course, is giving IV beta blockers. You can give IV metoprolol, depending on your site, 2.5 to 5 milligrams, pushed over a couple minutes, and repeating that at 5-minute intervals for 20 milligrams. A lot of places, particularly in the ER center, are thinking about using um, the IV more and more because in that situation, patients do not have to wait around. The peak effect of metoprolol when given IV is about five minutes out. There have been several articles, actually Dr. Panu from Hopkins has written several articles on beta blockers. Key thing is they're safe, they're easy to use, and they do work. There are certain contraindications. The typical one you will face, patients who are asthmatic and who are on medication. If they have asthma as a child, don't worry about it. Not an issue. Also, patients with systolic blood pressure under 90 would be an issue. In terms of uh, beta blockers, if we give the patient oral beta blockers, we don't monitor them after the study. The CT is over. They go home. With IV beta blockers, we'll typically watch the patient for about 30 minutes. But that's all we'll typically do. Remember, just from a safety perspective, if your heart rate drops too low, use atropine 0.04 milligrams per kilogram or 4 milligrams for a 100 kilogram patient. Now, as I mentioned, beta blockers are safe. The biggest issue with beta blockers literally is when you give them to the patient, you have to wait to do the study. There is a potential solution. Siemens' new dual-source CT with a temporal resolution of 83 milliseconds can scan patients with heart rate in the 90s. There's no need in this situation for beta blockers. So that's an exciting opportunity, and we're looking forward to see the results in publication. 
Now, the reason we speak about beta blockers, and here's just one more article just to remind you, it's particularly the right coronary, but both vessels, if you want to see them well, you need to have beta blockers on board. In terms of medication, other sites will often use nitroglycerin. We haven't routinely. Many sites do. Probably half or more of the sites do. Uh, the downside of beta of uh, giving someone nitroglycerin is that if you do not have a stenosis, the nitrates will give you a headache. What we're doing with nitroglycerin is we're dilating the coronaries so they're bigger. Hopefully, show the stenosis better. Hopefully, not high the stenosis. There have been no controlled articles, but recognize that most patients who go to cardiac cath will get nitroglycerin. So again, that's an important point. In terms of dose, typically 0.3 milligrams sublingual just prior to contrast injection. Um, what you would really like to do is not just prior to contrast injection, but maybe when the patient's on the table, they're getting calcium scoring because at that point, the peak again is roughly about five minutes. So that would be indeed very good timing. One of the key things also people ask us about in terms of medication is what about the IV contrast? We use iodixanol, which on the street is known as Visipake. We use Visipake 320. It has a great safety profile in terms of renal dysfunction, but for cardiac imaging, it's been shown with catheterization that it does not change the heart rate to the degree that uh, non-isosmolar agents do, and that becomes very, very critical Again, you give the contrast and the patient's heart rate jumps up, that can ruin the entire study. In terms of safety, remember that uh, many of the patients we do CT on are diabetics or older patients, and a recent meta-analysis shows the importance of the safety features of Visipake. So something you can be reading on your spare time. A couple of comments, we always do EKG gating. It's required, the downside of EKG gating is that the patient uh, will get an increased radiation dose. I commented before that we'll typically take this gated study, reconstruct at multiple intervals. We do 10 data sets from zero to 90. Again, it's typical that uh, the best reconstructions may be at that 50 to 60 uh, range for the left side of the heart and often at 30% for the right side of the heart. There's a lot of variation in what people prefer, but by getting every 10%, you have all of the possibilities. So it's typically uh, not an issue. It works out very, very nicely. Let's look then at one other aspect of the data acquisition, and that is the ability to um, deliver contrast. We know from CTA in general, there are many ways of giving contrast with preset timing or computer-assisted triggering or a test bolus. One thing I can say, you cannot use preset timing for cardiac CT. It's not going to work. You could do bolus tracking or triggering or test bolus. They work equally well. The typical bolus tracking technique, 100 cc's of contrast. You trigger when the uh, measurement in the ascending aorta is 100 Hounsfield units and add four seconds for that for breath hold. That works very nicely. One article uh, compared bolus tracking and test bolus and found bolus tracking to be better, but in the discussion of this article, they do make the point that their uh, delay for uh, test bolus wasn't long enough. If they went to a six-second delay on the test bolus after getting the peak level, it would have been perfect. And we use the test bolus technique at Hopkins. The first thing we do, of course, 
is we inject 20 cc's of contrast and we follow that by 40 cc's of saline. We inject 4 cc's a second. We then scan beginning at 10 seconds to look for the brightest point and then it's 6 seconds and that's our triggering point for cardiac CT. Now one advantage about doing test bolus, the patients do feel the warmth of the test bolus so they know what to expect when they get their regular study. We're also better able to rehearse the breath hold and really emphasize its importance. When we do the actual study, we're going to use uh, 80 cc's of contrast. Now with the test bolus technique, a few other comments. I mentioned we start scanning at 10 seconds post-injection because there's no need to scan earlier. You just increase the radiation dose for no gain. And we do things at three-second intervals for a total of 10 scans. Reality is most patients reach their peak at the 25 to 30 second level, and that works indeed very nicely. So for example, if at 22 seconds the ascending aorta is brightest, then we would add 6 seconds, and that would be 28, and that would be our actual delay for the CT scan. I mentioned we use 80 ml for the study. We'll inject it at 4 cc's a second. Some people suggest going higher. You can do that, but we've used four. And we follow that by a saline flush. So the injection time in total is about 30 seconds. The importance of the saline we'll speak about, we'll illustrate in a little bit, but it clears the right side of the heart. Absolute scan protocols will vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. The one thing to recognize is we're all doing submillimeter thick sections and our pitch is in the 0.2 to 0.3 range. We're slowing down the scanner to get the data we need. Where do we scan from? We scan from about the level of the patient's tracheal bifurcation through the base of the heart. So you're doing somewhere between 11 and 13 centimeters. Now the one downside, of course, from cardiac CT, or at least potential downside, is radiation dose. Depending who you read, the dose can be an average of 15 millisieverts. We've seen doses in the 25 range and then as low as 10. There are many different dose strategies that can be done. This is very critical to implement in cardiac CT. The manufacturers are working very hard at doing it. And I won't go into detail of these dose reduction strategies, but this article is a good review for those of you who are interested. The main technique that 64 used these days for dose reduction is dose modulation. And what happens in this scenario is what you're trying to do is understanding that you're acquiring the data throughout the heart cycle, what you want to do is drop the radiation dose during systole when you're not going to use the data for reconstruction. So what you typically want to do is have 100% output in diastole and an 80% reduction in systole. And if you could do this, and it looks very nice on the chart, you would get a dose reduction in the range of up to 50%. Now, of course, the problem is people typically or often don't have that perfect heart rate. And if you're a little bit off, you will be acquiring the data you need during a low energy phase and the study will be ruined. So again, you have to select what patients this will work on well. They truly need a regular heart rate. Now the future will surely change the dose issues. Both manufacturers, Siemens, the new 64 dual source scanner will drop dose by half. We're talking in the five millisievert range, so that is impressive. And GE is speaking about low dose coronary CT in the five to seven millisievert range. 
And in fact, I was at a talk this Saturday where Deanna Haas from GE presented some material which show they can drop to the one to two millisievert range. So again, it's a critical and potential Achilles heel. But if you look at some of the data with this new low dose studies, it indeed can be very interesting. So I think it's very important to be aware of the dose. And again, I think the manufacturers will be leading the way. Now, what should we look at at this point? Well, I think an important thing to look at is how we select the right patient and that's what we'll start with on our next talk. Thanks very much.